0: Okay, the title of our message tonight is The Cost, and we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Stand with me for the reading of the word. I'm going to start reading to you from Deuteronomy 1, verses 1 through 4. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on, the side, on this side of the Jordan, in the wilderness, in the plain opposite Suf, between Paran, Tophel, Laban, Hazareth, and Dizahabab. Uh, It is 11 days' journey from Horeb, by way of Mount Seir, to Kadesh Barnea. Now it came to pass in the 14th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all the Lord had given him as commandments to them. And after he had killed Sihon king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, and Og king of Bashan, who dwelt in Eshtereth in uh, Edria. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord God, you open up our hearts to, Lord, your word, Uh, an important message tonight, Lord God, an important word from Deuteronomy chapter 1. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord God. Let us truly leave the day that was hectic and busy, uh, Lord God, behind us. And the day tomorrow, Lord God, let us not focus on it, but let us just focus and sit at your feet, Lord, hear your voice, and Lord God, study your word tonight. In Jesus' name, we pray this, amen. Now, if you look at the text, it says something here. It should have taken them 11 days, and it tells us it took them 40 years. It really is 40 years a lifetime to get um, to the promised land. Let me just, I want to say, and I want to show you something here. If you look at the text, essentially when it talks about Mount Seir, Mount Seir is another word for Mount Sinai. So it's not talking about when they left Egypt, but when they were at Mount Sinai, okay, the giving of the law, uh, all the way up to Kadesh. This is Kadesh. It's called Kadesh Barnea as well. That journey, okay, that is being, is being described here, that should have taken 11 days. So this is used, a lot of teachers use this, and I think sometimes wrongly use it, as saying the entire journey of leaving, uh, of leaving essentially Egypt crossing uh, the, you know, the sea and then coming up and then entering uh, into uh, Israel uh, at the, essentially the Jordan River where Jericho is, they would say well, that it should have only taken 11 days. It would have taken more than 11 days. So it would have taken about a month. But it would have taken 11 days to go from Mount Seir up to Kadesh. And again, what the Word of God is saying, this took 40 years for them to travel uh, in this distance. What caused the delay? Right, If you're not getting to where you want to get to, if you're wandering in the desert, uh, this is a great passage to kind of look at and examine yourself. Because it's sad that this entire generation, this first generation, they all died in the desert. And it was their children and two others who actually had the opportunity to enter into the promised land. So I'm going to read to you I'm going to read to you a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read to you from verse 6 to verse 13. It said now these things became our examples. I want you to to notice that if you have your Bible underline examples. It's talking about the Old Testament. They were given to us as examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Do not become idolaters, as some of, uh, some of them, as it is written, the people sat down and eat and drink and rose up to play. Uh, nor let us uh, commit sexual immorality, immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Now let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happen to them as examples. The word is used, used twice. As they were written for our admonition. What does is, what is admonition mean? Warning. It's 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 essentially an authoritative counsel. Yes, an authoritative warning that God is is given. Actually, it's it's God warning them. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you. To be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So, again, it's it's a, a warning, right, of, you know, learn the lesson. When you're reading the scripture, learn the lesson. Learn the good lessons and learn the bad lessons. Learn the, the lessons from the people who did some, I mean, some really bad and stupid things. I say it's always better to learn from other people, from their mistakes, than having to learn from your own mistakes. But Learning from your own mistakes is incredibly painful. When you can learn from other people's stupid mistakes, man, I'll tell you, that's wisdom. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna keep yourself from experiencing a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. So let me just, I want to cover something before I dig into this text. First thing here, why do we suffer as human beings? And there's a lot of, you know, different ideas as to why human beings suffer, why, you know, evil happens, why do bad things happen to good people, why does evil happen to good people. But essentially, the Bible gives, I believe, the most comprehensive and full explanation. When I talk about the Bible is not a piece to the puzzle, the Bible is the puzzle. You know, why we are here, you know, who we are, you know, who's out there, you know, what happens when we die. You know, is there a is there life after death? Why do bad things happen? Why is there evil in the world? Why do I do things sometimes that I know I shouldn't do? And why do I not do things that I know I should do? The Bible explains all of that. And, you know, you can, you can look at, you know, I've read I've read Buddha. You know, I've read the Zen teachers. You know, I've read Confucius. I've read the philosophers, uh, the psychologists. And they'll give, they'll give little bits and pieces of truth. Truth is truth. But the Bible gives us again the whole picture. So when it comes to, to suffering and why you know we suffer, I want to share I want to share with you a few thoughts here. One thing that the Bible says there are times when we will suffer because we have an enemy. Satan can cause suffering, even in the most righteous person, like he did with Job. So, 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Have you ever seen him devour someone? I've seen that happen too many times, young and old. Second, second reason, in 1 Peter chapter 3.14, it says, but even if you should suffer for righteous sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. There's time you're you're going to suffer for being a Christian. You're going to suffer for righteousness. There are people, right? There are people who are not going to like you. I'll say this: if you don't have people in your life who don't like you, then you don't stand for anything. I'll just I'll just tell you: there are, there are a whole lot of people that like me. I'll tell you: there are a whole lot of people that don't like me. And when you take a stand for something for truth, I'll tell you, you just you just stand in front of the crowd and you quote. John chapter 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. You are going to alienate and make a bunch of enemies immediately when you say that, when they're sitting there and saying, you mean I just can't get to God on my own? You mean that there are not many ways to God? No, that's exactly what he said. There's only one way. So there are times we're going to suffer. Jesus said, you're blessed when you're persecuted. When people speak all types of calumny against you rejoice and be glad because they persecuted the prophets who were before you you're in good company I'm paraphrasing that you know that passage from Matthew chapter 5 another reason okay John 16:33 we suffer because we live in a fallen world these things i have spoken to you that in me you may have peace but in the world you have tribulation be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world where there are storms, there are earthquakes, there are tsunamis. I mean, oh, just look at the news. There are wars. We live in a world where biologically things are not operating the way that God intended them. We have germs, we have bacteria, we have viruses. And there are times when people just suffer and has nothing to do, right, with their sin. It may not be directly related to Satan. It's just simply something that happens because we live in a fallen world. Folks, you know, like Diane says, we're all terminal. We're we're we're, we're all terminal. I could give you a, a great a great quote. I think I think I used this in a sermon, but I was reading this in December in a book. Um, a man, his wife is terminally ill, and she's dying. She's got six months to live, and he she she decided to really live each day. Right, people a lot of times you see people who have been uh, diagnosed with a terminal illness, all of a sudden they decide that they're going to really embrace life and they're going to live life to the fullest while, you know, maybe the previous 60 years or 40 years before they weren't living. And she's really living life. She's doing what she wanted to do. She's she's loving the people that were in her life while before maybe, it, you know, wasn't, it wasn't as consistent. And he says to her, how does it feel to know that, you know, and just a few months you're going to die. How does it, you know, feel to know that you're terminal? And um, she looked at him and, and she said to him, how does it feel to be in denial that you're terminal? <laughs> and it's true, right? How does it feel to be in denial that you're going to die? You know, we're all going to die sooner or later. And, you know, again, we, we live in a world that is, that is fallen. And you can be living the most righteous life. You can be living the most pure life. But at times, bad things happen. Right? Just because we live in a fallen world. Uh, Another reason why at times we suffer is because God God disciplines us. Now, this is where we're going to really dig into. You're going to see this with uh, Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 1. And you have uh, forgotten the exhortation which is spoken to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son who he receives. There are times where our Father in heaven, if we are walking off the straight and narrow, he is going to discipline us. And at times that discipline can be really harsh. At times it can be really painful. He usually will hit us where it really hurts. He he goes for that area in our life that's the most vulnerable area of our life. And it's usually what, whatever we we are, you know, are cherishing. That's where the discipline will usually come. So there are times when when God is going to do that. He does it because He loves you. He He would rather put you through a, a time of, of discipline now than lose you into hell, lose you to the enemy. So God will discipline us, and then one other passage from Galatians chapter five, seven through eight. There are times we suffer because we're just sowing what we, you know, we're reaping what we sow, and that's again true of of this generation. The generation we're going to talk about here, and what God says to us in Deuteronomy chapter one, they essentially they were suffering because God was disciplining them, and they were suffering because they were reaping what they had sowed. Galatians chapter five or seven through eight. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he also will reap. For he who sows to the flesh will also of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. See, a lot of times people they're you know they're they're angry at God for their current condition. Stop and look at yourself. Sometimes physically, what what have you done to yourself physically? You know, I just, you know, we, we abuse ourselves with alcohol. We abuse ourselves with, 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 you know, nicotine. We abuse ourselves with drugs. You know, we, we eat too much. We don't move enough. And then, you know, we become ill. And then we're blaming God for it. You know, we've reaped what we've sowed. And I think that it, it's important, you know, important to realize. These, these five things have helped me so much to just be able to understand my life. And to understand at times why, you know, why I could be experiencing pain, why I could be experiencing suffering. And again, being able to really kind of identify, you know, what was going on. Sometimes it is the devil. Sometimes it, it is the discipline of God. Sometimes I'm just I'm just reaping I'm reaping what I've you know, what I've sown into my, you know, into my life. And sometimes it's just because I I, I am living in a fallen world and really has, has nothing to do directly with my choices or you know, my decisions. So Israel here, again, is suffering mainly because of God's discipline and because now they are reaping what they have sowed. And it, it, is, it is a heavy passage that now is kind of reiterating, it's repeating. Again, Deuteronomy means a repetition. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. Why? Because the first generation has died. And this is now Moses giving the law again to this whole new generation. These are the children of those who have died in the desert. And now Moses has to go and he has to give the whole law. So the entire book of Deuteronomy is a repetition. What we're looking at here, we covered in Numbers chapter 13, 14, and 15 when we were going through the book of Numbers. So, first thing is the promise. In verses 5 through 8, On this side of the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law. Right? He's giving the law again. The Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey, and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains, and in the lowland, in the south, and on the sea coast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Now watch verse 8. See... I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them and their descendants after them. God made the promise that this land, right, is a gift to Abraham, to Abraham's descendants, to Isaac, to Isaac's descendants, right, to Jacob to Jacob's descendants, right? The 12 sons, the 12 tribes, to Israel. You see everything going on in the Middle East right now? You see the battles that are going on? And now Israel is Israel's is fighting wars right now on five fronts. They're not only fighting in Gaza, they're fighting Hezbollah. Now they're fighting people from the West Bank. They're fighting people from Yemen. And they're fighting Iran. But what is it all about? It's about the land, right? Hamas says it's our land. In 1948, Israel right returned to their land after World War II, after the Holocaust. Six million Jews were, six and a half million Jews were slaughtered in the Holocaust. So now they're returning; they're returning to the land of promise that God had given to them thousands of years before, and that they had inhabited for about 1,700 years before the Romans basically cast them out. 70 A.D., about 143 A.D. When the emperor threw them out in about 140, what he did, he hated the Jews so much that he removed the name Israel and he called it Philistinia. Philistinia after who? The Philistines. You look at Gaza, Gaza is in the exact location of the Philistines. What were the Philistines inhabited by? Giants. Goliath, I wonder if it's their spirits, right? The disembodied spirits of the Nephilim, that's what I believe. I believe those are what demons are. I believe angels are principalities and powers and rulers. They're the ones who go, you know, they, they need to be in the flesh. So there's there's thousands of them that go into right into pigs. <laughs> I don't see angels doing that. So these demons right, that, that inhabit. But I think Gaza is a demonic stronghold. And again, this battle is going on there. Right, for what? The land. The land, again, was a promise. It was a covenant promise that God made to Israel. So when you look at these idiots, um, no, if you look at these morons that are blocking Kennedy Airport, that are marching on the campuses, right, that are, that are protesting all over the world, they don't have a clue, they don't have a clue. They're, they're, I'm telling you, they're idiots, they're, they're uninformed, ignorant idiots who are doing this. The promise was made to Abraham, it, it is the land of, of Israel, not the land of the Philistines or the Palestinians. People need to, uh, you know, need to uh, see, oh, we, we, we want our, you know, we want our, our, our land back. It's Israel's land. And Israel, Israel has been a benefactor. Israel has been kind. You know, they surprised, they supplied the electricity to Gaza. They, 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 they've been the ones who supplied the water to Gaza. And they've given, they've, they've, they've taken care of it. they've tried to treat these people. I don't know of any army that goes in and tells, tells the enemy what they're going to bomb before they bomb it. Even when, they, when they're fighting, they, they, they fight. When they say, This is a battle between good and evil. It is a, it is a battle on the, on the spiritual planes between good and evil, and it's a, a battle right here on Mother Earth, okay, between good and evil. And Israel will win. Israel will win. Uh, ultimately, they, they may not win the way they think they're going to win, because the, the victory is going to come to the Lord, ultimately, and they're going to give their lives to Christ. Because they're still, still—they're still, for the most part, they're un- un- ungenerated and they're not born again. So when you're praying for Israel, pray for their salvation. And when you're praying for the Palestinians, pray for their salvation too. Because there's deception on both sides. They need to come to Messiah. But the covenant, right? The covenant promise was made. Now let me just talk about us. Do you realize that you're people of the covenant? And you're people of the promise. Every one of us tonight, we are are people of the covenant, we are people of the promise. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13, one of many verses. Therefore remember that you once, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, that's the Jews calling us the uncircumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ. Being aliens from the Commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants promise, the covenants of promise, right? We were we were separated from the covenant, these wonderful covenants of promise, and the covenants of promise that the Lord is is It's covenants of eternal life, the covenants of salvation, the covenants of a relationship with the eternal God. Having no hope and without God in the world, that's where I was. But now in Christ Jesus. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Right? The blood of Christ, the cross. His sacrifice is the blood of Christ. A holy God. Unapproachable. Holy. A consuming fire. Sinful men. Right? Every one of them at the foot of the cross. And every one of us. But the blood of Christ, the bridge... That takes sinful man and reconciles him to a holy God. Takes a holy God and reconciles him to sinful man. We are now people of the covenant promise. And there there is a blessing and blessings that we can even even wrap our mind around right now. Every once in a while, in my walk with God gives me like a little glimpse into heaven. He gives me like a little glimpse into the incredible blessings that, that he has for us, that I haven't, I haven't tasted yet, but I haven't even had an hors d'oeuvre yet, of the buffet. Somebody said to me one day, it's not buffet, it's buffet. I know, buffet. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Folks, it's going to be wild. It's going to be wild. And, you know, it, maybe you just had a really good, you had a good Christmas, maybe you had a good time over the holidays. It, it is th- What God has for us, it will, will not compare to the best of the best times that we've had here on this earth. It's going to be incredible. We are people of the promise. Okay? All right, number two, the challenge. So in verse 19 through 21, it says, So we departed from Horeb and went through all the great and terrible wilderness, which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord God had commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said to you, You have come to this mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear, nor be discouraged. So here's the promised land is before you, but you've got to go take it. You're going to have to go take it. You're going to have to fight battles. There, there are enemies there. There are, there are strongholds like Jericho that you're going to have to tear down. There are giants there that you're going to have to you're going to have to kill. You're going to have to eliminate. Think and stop for a second of your walk with God. God has has made this great promise to you, and now He says, "Go up and possess it." But there are things that are between you and the promise of God that you have to overcome. He's going to give you weapons of warfare to overcome them. He gives you your His His Holy Spirit for you to overcome. He gives you the power of prayer for you to overcome them. But you've got to go up and you've got to possess it. If you choose not to go, right, and possess it, if you choose not, then what happens is you don't possess it. You don't get it. And this, this is, affects our, our walk with Christ, the blessings that God wants to bring into our lives with Christ, our ministries in Christ. It affects our careers. It affects our marriages. It affects our families. It affects the generations that will follow us. But we've got to go in and we've got to possess it. God puts the promise before us. Why are there so many people in church who basically are not in that place where they're possessing the blessings of God because they're not going? Look, look a, simple, a simple blessing that Jesus offers in Matthew chapter 11, 28, and 29, he offers rest. Rest. Rest from what? Rest from the struggles with sin. Rest from living under the legalism of the law. Rest of, of you know, maybe feeling less. I talked to a man today, and he was sharing with me his wife, who I know very well saying how worthless I am how useless I am my family thinks that I'm useless my family thinks that I'm worthless I have no value I mean just that's the enemy that's the enemy you know destroying me it's the image of God we have all been created in the image of God in the likeness of God wonderfully and marvelously made right given great potential Great promise. And that's the enemy destroying. Destroying that image of God in that woman. But rest, right? Rest from that attack. Rest from that you know, destruction of, again, the image of God. Look what Jesus says. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. That woman was heavy laden, heavy burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Notice, he says, "Come to me, come, and take." The promise is there. God is offering you rest, but you got to come and take it. You got, you got to come and take it. If you don't come, if you don't take it, you don't have it. God puts the, the promise, and there were, there are promises that God makes. To us individually, and there are general, gener- this is a generic promise to the entire human race, "Come to me." But there are specific promises that God makes to us in our own personal lives. But God says, you, "You've got to go. You've got, you've got to take it. And refusal to take it will keep you from having it." And that is really the, the condition of the generation that dies. God offered them, He took them right, He took them right to the promised land and said, There it is, it's yours for the taking. And then they refused. And that's what, what brings us really to the final port tonight is the reminder. And the reminder is here given again of what happened back in Numbers chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, in verses 26 through 28. He says, nevertheless, you would not go up. So the first issue is refusal. God said to them, go. And they said to God, no. Jesus commands us to go. And a lot of times, right, as Keith Green sang, we go the other way. And then we wonder why we're wandering in a desert. And we wonder why, right, these things are happening to us. So the first thing, just nevertheless, you would not go up. I've been counseling people in the church for 40 years. How many times I see people who are not entering into the promised blessings of God simply because they wouldn't go up and take them. Laziness, apathy, I sometimes fear. So then it goes on, and it says, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. The second thing here is they rebelled. And notice, what did they rebel against? His word, the command, right? They rebelled against the very the very word of God. You see, people sometimes, they're like, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. But they don't obey his word. And what did Jesus say in John chapter 14? He said it four times. Three in the positive, one in the negative. He said, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. And if you don't love me, you won't obey me. How do we demonstrate our love for God? We obey him. And we seek. We seek to obey him. We may not always obey him perfectly, but that's the intent of our heart and what we're seeking to do. Then it goes on and says, they complained in their tents. You complained in your tents. And again, they were were complaining, complaining against Moses, right? What did they do? They complained against God's appointed leadership, Moses and Aaron. They complained about the manna. That's God's provision. And then they complained, essentially, right, about God. They were complaining, you know, about the Lord. I want to share this with you. I'm putting this together. I... I prayed about sharing this with you tonight. I prayed about sharing everything with you, but this specifically. Carol Gauguin, you're here tonight. Do you remember when you first came here? How many people came with you from the church you came from? Harriet, let me just say this to you. I don't have to mention names, but Harriet has gone home to be with the Lord. And Carol and Harriet, two faithful people. All the rest of them are gone. And all of the rest of them were gone pretty quickly. You know what most of those people came here with, and I know you didn't, I know Harriet didn't. They came here complaining. And they complained about the church they were in. And they complained about the pastor, and they were complaining about the leadership, and they were complaining about the music. And you know what quickly happened? They began to complain about me, and about us, and what happens? You see, people, and, and again, uh, uh, Carol and, and Harriet, are two wonderful servants, and have great rewards, many crowns in heaven awaiting. Uh, Carol, Harriet's already wearing them, but people project. They had bad experience there. Right? Maybe some things didn't go their way. They came here and they just projected it on 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 us. And essentially, most of it came on me. Now, these people would, 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 would complain. We had another group come here, and Len would remember this. Where is Lenny? Oh, you see behind the pole. <laughs> remember the group that came here from Teaneck? We can't even remember them. About 20 of them came in from a church, a church that, I don't know, went belly up in Teaneck. And they came here, are there any of them here? Some of them were young. They're all gone. Same thing. They came here and they began to project. They had problems there. I mean, it was, there were was some scandals that went on in that church. But they start projecting them on myself, on the pastors, on the leadership. And then it begins to affect. Let me just, uh, I, I want to stress this. Complaining is a disease. And complaining is a contagious disease. And I'm really glad that, that these people left here really quick and sometimes were asked to leave here because they would have infected this entire church and what happened there would have happened here. But complaining is, is, is a sickness. Uh, it, it's a disease and it spreads. And notice where it says the complaining happened here. It complained, they complained in their tents. Where'd they go? They didn't do it in the community. They went home to their families and friends and they began to murmur. And they began to complain to those to those people. Now, watch here what it says. They complained in their tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Now, you know what that is? That is twist, that is a twisted view of God. That's that's twisted Warped theology that that God hates us. Think about that. You ever see people blame? Right? They they blame God. They blame God for the bad things that are happening to them. They blame God for their misfortune. They blame God for their you know for their problems. Blame. And then what 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 you get is there's usually excuses that follow. Then they're excusing their sins that actually are bringing the problems into their life. They're sowing what they, you know. They're sowing and they're reaping. So then they begin to come up with excuses, and then they justify. By the way, look at that. It goes blame, excuses, justification. A lot of times when I see people, and they they are they are entrenched in their problems. They are constantly blaming. They project again the blame on someone else. They have excuses for why they're doing what they're doing, and then they'll justify it. And that's what the Israelites here, right? That's what they were doing. You go back into Numbers, that's what they were doing. Because the Lord hates us. It's, It's God's fault. That's why we're having all the problems that we're having now. So then it says, Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller than we, the cities are greater and fortified up to heaven, Moreover, we have seen the signs of Anakim there. They're allowing people to speak into their lives instead of God. They're listening to people instead of listening to God. And when you begin to to listen to people more than you listen to God, you are in trouble. You're allowing people to influence you instead of allowing God to be the influence of your life. And that is a really that is a super dangerous place to be in. And people have, have, you know, people have come to me through the years and said, oh, you know, this is what you should do. Or this is where you should go. Or just, what is God saying? It don't matter what they're saying. It's what, you know, what is God saying? Because as soon as you start listening to people, you are in major, in a major place of danger. What is the root cause of all sin? Right, you see a number of things: complaining, rebellion, uh, blaming God. Right, listening to people. What is the root cause of all sin? What? the The root cause in in scripture. The root cause of all sin is unbelief. Unbelief. Yeah. And and, and again, it's identified here. And you you see this over and over again. Jesus, you know, I mean, coming upon the apostles. Why are you afraid? You have little faith. In verses 29 through 33, Then I said to you, Do not be terrified or afraid of them, the Lord your God who goes before you. He will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you. As a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place, God has proven himself. Yet, for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God. You did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go, in the fire by night, and in the cloud by day. What is the cause and the root of all sin? It's unbelief. What is the unpardonable sin? It's unbelief. He can forgive every sin, but if a person chooses not to believe, he cannot forgive it. It's the sin that that ultimately damns every person. So, you know, here, this chart here. I pulled this up from a preacher. Look at this. It's just, it it gives the, the picture again. Unbelief here, and somebody said pride, but unbelief, it just projects out into all these other sins. They do not believe God. They do not believe God's words of blessing. They do not believe God's words of warning. They do not believe God's words of punishment. They simply do not. Man, you look at your life, and you look at any sin you're struggling with, I can guarantee it's because of unbelief. If most of us just simply believed in the presence of God, that we really believe that he is omnipresent, we wouldn't do a hell of, the, a, hell of a lot of the things that we do. And I'm using the word hell. Because we're doing things that are, that are absolutely dishonoring to God. If we really believed that, you know what, that he is here and he is with me all the time, we wouldn't be doing those things. Final verses here. Deuteronomy verse 34 through 40 in verse uh, chapter 1. And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry. And he took an oath saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land of which I swore to give to your fathers. Except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to him and his children I am giving the land on which he walked because he wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord also uh, angry with me for your sake, saying, Even you shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Wherever your little ones and your children, who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there. To them, I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and take your journey into the wilderness, by way of the Red Sea. Why do Caleb and Joshua get to go into the Promised Land? I want to present something to you here. They chose the hard way. The crowd chose the easy way. They chose the way of faith. The crowd chose the way of fear. They chose to fight giants. The crowd chose to run away. They chose to receive the blessing of the promised land. They received notoriety. They received life. They're remembered as heroes. The crowd, I mean, the crowd, we look upon them as the cursed who died in the desert. They're forgotten. They're remembered as rebels and cowards. In our life, is a great poem by uh, Robert Frost. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence. two roads diverged in the wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Joshua and Caleb chose the road less traveled by. Didn't Jesus say something like that? Yeah, what what verse is that? What is that in Luke? Is it in John? Is it in Mark? It's in Matthew 7:13 through 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Most choose the easy way instead of the hard way. The easy way leads to destruction. The hard way leads to life. And I want to say this to you. There are many things that Jesus said that really, they prove true in all different aspects of life. There's even when Jesus said, For he who has will be given more, for he who does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. That's true, and that you know that's true. And you can look at it; it's true in economics, it's true with your health. But essentially, whatever you have, whatever you focus on, you get more of. And that's that that that's true. You know, Lenny, the worship team, they're very into music. What do they get? They get more music. But the per- the person who is into money. You know, and this is why people, I think sometimes the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. You get around rich people and you'll understand why they're rich. They're different. They think differently. They focus on on, on money. They focus on investing. So they continue to accumulate more and more wealth. But you get more of what you are. Here, again, this passage proves true that really to get that which is good, you have to go the hard way. Because if you choose the easy way, think of people, they, they choose the easy way. And they choose the easy way with their, with their bodies. Look, just anybody, right? What does it bring you? It brings you sickness, it brings you health, it brings you disease. If, if they choose the easy way in their careers. They choose their easy way in the Christian life. You have to choose the hard way. When you know the hard way, though, it's not as hard as you think. The Christian life is is really, I mean, how many of you find it, was it hard for you to come here tonight? I want to tell you, there are people who find it very hard to come out of their house on a Wednesday night and be here in the church. They find it very hard. It's hard for them to leave the, the comfort, right, of their home. It's hard for them to leave their, their comfortable seat. And it's very hard for them to be here tonight. You don't find it hard. I don't, I've don't. i not found it hard. I've been doing this for over 40 years. And, you know, and I was sitting where you are years ago, and I never found it hard. I always found it something of fun. So what, again, some people interpret as being hard. I don't believe it's really hard. The, the life of Jesus, if I was to find out, tonight that everything I believed was false. Everything I believed that I I bet my life on was false. Let me just tell you this. The life that I have lived in Christ has been a good life. (laughs) Even if it was false, right? That's called the divine wager. Blaise Pascal, the philosopher, he used that. He said, when people would say, what if you find out it's false? Well, I, I lived a good life. I had joy. I had peace. I had health compared to if I had, you know, if I had gone the way of, you know, the world. Choose the hard path. It's not as hard as you think because it's what leads to life. And it leads to life in this life and it leads to eternal life. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord God, for the examples that have been given to us in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1, for the examples of Caleb, of Joshua, for the bad examples, the poor examples, Lord, examples we don't want to repeat in our own personal lives. We thank you, Lord God, for, again, your word, and for your son Jesus, and for his wonderful grace and mercy and blood. So, Father God, I just want to thank you and praise you I pray, Lord God, we take this lesson to heart. Carry it with us, Lord. Let us meditate on it these next days. Let it bring fruitfulness, Lord God, into our lives. For all these things, Lord Jesus, we pray in your glorious name. Amen.